Welcome to the Athens Frontline, a podcast presented by the Red and Black that covers topics in health and wellness. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra, here to discuss therapy, mental health, and how it all comes together with Dr. Angela Londonio McConnell. Support for this podcast is provided by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership. For more information, visit grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Dr. Londonio McConnell is a licensed psychologist and president of AK Counseling and Consulting, Inc. in Athens, Georgia. She has extensive experience in the areas of college student life and development and is a nationally recognized expert in the field of cultural diversity. She served on the Committee for the Advancement of Professional Practice, which is the governing committee for the American Psychological Association Practice Organization. She's also on the Georgia Psychological Association Public Education Services as a committee chair and was the state's liaison to the American Psychological Association in their public education efforts. Dr. Londonio McConnell, how are you today? I'm well. Thank you for having me here. I'm delighted yeah. to be here today. We are so happy to have you. It's my first episode, so um, I'm, I'm really glad <laughs> that you said yes to it. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to start with something um, that sounds simple, but it's it's tough. (laughs) Now, I haven't experienced therapy myself, but I have talked to many, many people and it's the same doubt. Does therapy work? And if so, how? It's a big mystery, right? But it's really not a mystery. Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, data Um, that talks about how therapy works and why it works. Really, one of the most important things about therapy is finding the right person to work with because it is really a collaborative effort between you and your therapist, your mental health provider, to understanding yourself better, to being able to really um, have an objective, a neutral, and non-judgmental person who's going to be able to help you understand your blind spots, to see your blind spots, to understand what what is keeping you from achieving the best life you could live. Um, and I think that really is what therapy what therapy uh, needs to be a collaborative effort. Um, how does it work? It is based on um, a lot of procedures that are scientifically validated. Uh, There's lots of research on that. So therapists go through a lot of training to be able to learn these procedures that would enable them to then help those that seek therapy and counseling um, to um, in order for them to help them figure out what are what is it that um, whether it's a behavioral behavioral habits, feelings, what is it that really would make their life much better? What is it that they want to achieve? What are their goals? and how they can get there. We're students, right? And so a lot of us are what we would call in in student language, broke. (laughs) Don't have a lot of money. We always, you know, we have to make sure that we know where our money is going. And so a lot of students and also adults believe in therapy as something like, you know, you're paying someone to listen to you, right? Someone you don't know. Why is this the wrong or right mindset in your opinion? 
I would hope that when somebody goes to therapy, they're very clear about the goals they would want to achieve. And that's why it's so important to find the right person to be able to go to. It's an incredibly personal thing because hopefully you, you um, the therapist will provide a safe space for the individual to be able to talk about anything and everything that they feel needs to be addressed. So if you are feeling like you're going to therapy, and all you are doing is paying somebody to listen to you, but that there is really not, that goals are not being addressed, that there is no progress being made, then that might, there's two things that could be happening. That either A is not, maybe more than two things, there's always more than two things happening in the room at any time, right? In any place. But the two things that came to mind right away is either A is not a good person uh, in clinician fit, or two, what is it that the person is avoiding that they do not want to address that keep things from actually going to where they need to go? So I would encourage anyone who feels like therapy is just some that they go to the therapist, but they're only talking to someone but not getting anything to really address those two things. So of course, you've addressed that therapy is important, that we need therapy. That even some people could argue that everybody should experience therapy at some time in their life to talk, to learn things about themselves. Why is it so hard to find therapists who take insurance in this country then? Uh, you know, what is interesting is that in the Athens area, the last time I looked, there were over 600 mental health providers within a 30 mile radius of Athens. That's a lot of therapists. And the majority of them actually do take insurance. I think the problem is more that we don't have enough therapists to be able to meet the need, especially in the last couple of years with the pandemic. And just as more and more people are becoming aware of the benefits of mental health, I do think that we are seeing more of an increase in demand for services. Um, so I do think that in many ways, a lot of a lot of therapists do take insurance, but there are some problems with insurance. For instance, insurance does not make mental health a priority. So they really, uh, even though we have parity with federal government, so they should have the same access. People should have the same access to mental health as physical health. It's federal mandate. That's not always been the case, even years after that um, went into place. Um, so. Uh, the American Psychological Association, for instance, have had to really fight to make sure that that parity is actually implemented in the policies that people are paying for in with their mental with their healthcare um, insurance. Second, insurance companies have also over the years um, declined the reimbursement rates for for their for mental health providers over years has gone down and stuff. And while at the same time asking more and more for records, for um, for information, and to really micromanage what the therapists are doing. And it gets to the point where sometimes it feels like you cannot do your job to the way that you know you need to do it because the insurance companies are going to be questioning everything you're doing, sometimes even by people that are not training mental health. So I do think that there is a variety of reasons to why some people may choose not to take insurance. The other thing that I just thought about is um, actually sometimes the panels are closed and therapists cannot get on. Them. Even though it's not supposed to happen, it still happens. So they take years for them to be on a panel. So there's a number of things that uh, make uh, sometimes uh, services less accessible instead of more accessible, which should be the key, the, the, which should be the, 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 the thing, right? To have more access to services, not less. 
Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up accessibility amongst also amongst different communities, right? There's so many health disparities and mental health is on the top of that list. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think almost everyone I talk to ha- has said that. Um, and, and, and it plays a part in a lot of political talks as well, right? Like gun control. Are, are we really talking about guns or are we talking about the mental health of the people behind the gun? And so these conversations can go on, <laughs> you know, yeah. for weeks yes. and weeks. Um, but I want to bring it to a more personal level, right? I grew up in an Indian family, right? I'm a, I'm a first generation college student here in America. Now, my parents are very well educated back in India, but when you move halfway across the world, it, it doesn't seem like the education really matters when you're learning how to live in a whole different environment, right? It's, it's like learning everything again. So a, a lot of people in my community, um, we try to shield mental health, right? In the Indian community, we don't, we don't like to talk about it. You, you keep it in the house. That's what you hear a lot. You keep it amongst your family. Now, um, you know, usually immigrant parents, I like to think of them on a spectrum. <laughs> They're either very traditional and conservative because that's how they know. That's how they've been raised. Um or they're very progressive. Now I'm grateful. I've got pretty progressive parents. Um, and so they care about my mental health and they'll help me. But I also realize that I'm very privileged to have progressive parents. And I recognize that, but my own classmates, my own friends and my own community, I know not everyone is as privileged as they seem. Um, and whenever sometimes students or, or children tell their parents that they're struggling with different things like depression, or anxiety, um, regardless of what is causing it, you often hear, well, why, why you've got a, you've got a roof over your head. You've got food on your plate. I'm providing everything I can for you in a country I didn't grow up in. And you can see where the parents are coming from, right? They don't want to hear that for your, for them, but it, it shields this conversation. It, it stops it in its tracks and it, it doesn't go on any further. And, and, very rarely does a child bring it up again. There's the taboo, clearly. And, and you know, I've seen it in my own community. I'm sure you've seen it in a lot of your clients, your own patients. Why does this exist? And, and in your opinion, how can it be fixed? Because it's clearly a huge problem. Absolutely. It is a huge problem. I think you're speaking to the stigma of mental health. It, it has happened in every community. But in communities of color, I think it is particularly stigmatizing to talk about mental health. I think for a number of reasons. It goes against our cultural factor, our cultural norms to go outside of the family, to speak about very personal, personal things. Um, I think that, you know, in communities of color, I think you go to the family first as an expectation. But sometimes it's difficult when the concerns we have are about the family, are about things that we need to understand that are not going to be able, that we're not going to be able to talk about to our own parents or to our relatives openly and clearly and objectively, or we may not even know how to talk about it. So that's that's one thing, is to go in against the cultural norms. I also think that there's a distrust of institutions in general, partly because of the uh, racism that a lot of people have experienced and discrimination hands of institutions. So I think the mental health has not been the exception. You alluded to something else. Um, I think mental health is often used as a weaponized, they weaponize it as a way to explain things away when the reality does not want to be really addressed. 
like gun control. Um, the reality is that most people that are, have a mental illness are not violent. Um, but I think that is what we are presented in the media as a way to justify people's behaviors or other way of laws or rules or whatever are in the books. So I do think that it's important that we address this. What I have noticed in the work that I've been doing for several years now is that things are changing. Your generation is fraught with a lot of things that you're facing, but one of the things that you also have been really good with is destigmatizing, trying to destigmatize people who are seeking and needing mental health services. I think the celebrities have come out. Lady Gaga has been a big advocate of mental health. So many other celebrities have really said, hey, we need to stop the stigmatizing of something that is just should be part of our daily life to be able to talk not just about the physical health of an individual, but as well as the a mental health of the individual to have the, a better quality of life. So I do think that maybe the good thing about there's many things that we can talk about social media being a problem for, but I do think that it has mainstream to talk about mental health, to, to reach out to people who have concerns about mental health and to make it more likely that somebody may reach out to seek mental health services than ever before. For instance, in Latin America, just like in Asia, just like in other countries, um, in, other, in other continents, parts of the world, there is there has been a big stigma related to mental health. But in some parts of the of, of, of the of the world, the Spanish speaking world, there's actually now the reverse. Having a psychologist is, is part of a status symbol in some countries. So it is changing. Slow at change, like everything, it's always slow. Uh, change is always slow at coming. But I do think and I have a lot of hope that people are feeling that they can seek the services that they when they need them. I do think that um, the cultural norms are more difficult to change in terms of in our communities of color. I do think that over time, it would get easier and better for us, for people to be able to seek the services they need. It just takes time to get there. But I think we're getting there a little bit. I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm only having these conversations with my family and my friends because I feel comfortable talking to them. Mm -hmm. And I can't say the same if I were living in the past. Um, I don't know how life would have been. I'm really glad that we started talking about minority groups. We're two women of color. Um, And so (laughs) props to us (laughs) talking. Love it. about men for a second (laughs) this word toxic masculinity i don't know if it's always been around you know i I didn't hear about it much when i was younger but it's probably just because i was younger and i want to see first of all what it is i want i want to have you know you tell your opinion and how it differs amongst communities of color and when you compare it compare it to white counterparts in our everyday life is it different is it worse for black men for Hispanic men, for Asian men, or is it, again, that slow evolution? Uh, you know, it, it's bad, but it's worse for people of color, but it, it, it'll get better. It's getting better. Can you give, you know, can you shed more light into this specifically? This. Yeah, I do think that the more, as we learn more about gender, perhaps equality, we have come to not only talk about women wanting to be seen as more equals or uh, and have equitable access to things, um, but also I think we need to address the role that is done, what is done to men. Stereotypes in general have not done well 
for men or women. Um, you know, men are seeing that they, you know, how often do we hear people say, little boys don't cry, or we used to hear that say, and you need to pick up your, yourself by the bootstraps, although nobody has ever tried because you really can't. Um, so I do think that there is that. And then the women to be depicted as hysterical and emotional and too sensitive and not whatever enough, you know, not there's always somebody's always being told that they're not doing enough. And I think that's where the toxicity of either one really comes into place in the mass and the toxic masculinity really is about that. It's about the stereotypes of what men should be that often does not allow them to be, to feel, to, to who they really are. So then it creates um, a dynamic where they feel that they have to be, they have to be who they may not need to be in order to, to uh, remain in power, to have some sort of power and control over things. Is it more difficult in communities of color? I would imagine that there's, we go back to cultural norms, cultural values. I think that in many, in many of our cultures, men have held a position different than women in terms of providers, in terms of decision makers, in terms of being able to have the final say in many things. That gives them a power and control over certain situations that sometimes I think creates a less understanding or uh, not a balanced view of how things need to be. And I agree. I think that creates toxicity in terms of what they need to do. From that perspective, I think that all of us are victims of that. Men and women, nobody wins. The men feel that they always have to be in control. The women feel that they don't have room to be able to make decisions to really have a say at the table. Um, so I do think that we need to address that at every level, in you know, every community. I think was the, I think it's been more of a main uh, of a topic of conversation in mainstream. I think we still need to address it in our communities of color. It's something that is more. It would require it would require a lot of introspection in terms of how the hierarchy of our families. I think that is changing. I've seen it change over time. I think you're right that as um, I think with biculturalism, we are raised more by cultural. I think that those things are going to be easier to address and less likely to continue to be perpetuated because women of color, like you were saying, young women are saying, hey, let's have a partner who so actually understand. I want to be supportive of my partner, but I need them to be supportive of me. I want us to really have these difficult conversations about what it means to be a man, what it really means to be a woman. Let's have conversations. Let's not just assume that whatever worked in the past or didn't work in many instances is what we're going to per, to recreate in my own relationships, in my own work environments, in my own day-to-day interactions. So I do think that there, that is going to be, um, a, a, there's, there is, and there will continue to be a shift in that because we are I think both men and women want it in in particularly women. I mean, I think in general, people are realizing that that is not healthy for any, for everybody or for anyone. And I think that there is a desire in some parts to change. And I think it will continue to evolve. I'm really glad to hear that because I do see those gender disparities. And, you know, sometimes when you see them, you're just like, man, I wish I could fix this single handedly, but Again, as you said, slow, a slow evolution. Because it's a systemic thing. So it needs right. to be, it needs to be, systems change very slowly. I think it requires more like collaborative effort. And I think being able to realize and pay attention to what norms 
uh, what rules, what laws even are in the books that would not allow for less disparity and more uh, equitable treatment of everybody. I do think that that's going to change, including paternity leave, you know, for a lot of recently that was in the news. That is the same thing. You know, it needs to go really, you know, uh, when two people talk about feminism, feminism really is about it's about being equal. It's about equitability, equitability, not difference, not that women need to be more than men. It's about both genders, both people, everybody getting equal access to things and equal um, treatment. So I do think that it's important for us to pay attention to what equal means. Right. And without, without stigma, hopefully. So we live in Athens um, and you can't talk about Athens without bringing up the University of Georgia, I feel like it's just so big, has such a big influence, you know, in in the community. Now, this last month was particularly hard and it wasn't particularly hard just for me, but a lot of students and um, there were midterms, um, Mm -hmm. but it was also that feeling of, okay, well, after a year and a half or what, two years, we're back into in-person classes. And so... There's just been this overwhelming cloud amongst all of us. I feel like amongst all of campus. And I wanted to know if you've been hearing about it, what you could say about it. What do you think is the cause of it? And also include what are some mental health issues today that are in the forefront of the broader Athens community as well? This is so timely because the American Psychological Association does an annual survey called Stress in America, and it just got released last week. And they usually take a particular um, topic in, uh, that is maybe causing stress at any given time in, and do a survey nationwide about to take a pulse of the country in terms of stress levels. Their recent survey actually addressed young adult mental health and stress. And it it showed that young adults right now are experiencing a great deal of stress related to the pandemic and specifically about the decision regarding uh, day-to-day life. Why? If you think about it, a year and a half, actually 20 months ago, just about, it's going to be in two weeks, all of a sudden we went from life as we knew it to a completely new way of doing, living life day to day. It was a big shock to all of our systems, to all of us. Uh, all of a sudden, was not as safe as we thought. Everything could be dangerous. It was just a lot of changes very soon. One of the things that we know is that when we have to make decisions, day-to-day decisions that are that are difficult, that really erodes our willpower, our ability to make decisions in the best way possible. Because uh, it takes a lot of energy out of our um, conscious selves, out of our, our awareness in our in our day-to-day. Imagine for the last 20 months, we've had to make a decision every day. You walk into class, into your classroom, you have to make a decision about where am I going to sit? Am I going to wear a mask? Who is around me? How am I going to get there? Do I get on the bus? Or do I do I walk? Because on the bus, people may or may not be wearing masks. What Am I going to get vaccinated? Am I not going to get vaccinated? Do I get a booster when there's a booster available? How is this affecting my family? I mean, every decision you had to make, do I go to class in person? Do I advocate for classes online? So everything that we knew no longer is as we used to know it. 
So that has taken a toll on the mental health of a lot of young adults, in part because we can't rely on our go-to coping, our go-to ways of dealing with things because everything is new. So that is actually very stressful. So if you are feeling new and, you know, like you said, the people in Athens or young adults in Athens are feeling stressed, there is reasons for that. And there is data to show that, yes, you're not the only one nationwide. Everybody's presenting that. I do think that um, I'm hoping that over time, as things go back to more normal and even getting back to whatever that is, I think it's also going to be very trying because we now get hesitant to even go to a party. Should I go? Should I not go? Should I do this? Should I not do the other? So I think everything's we're questioning every movement we make. And I think that takes a toll on us. So I do think that what you got, what you all are, what you're saying that you're experiencing is very, very true. We're tired. Um, And I think the other part of it all is that we have been in this state of uncertainty for 20 months Mm-hmm. Prolonged uncertainty really can create a lot of vulnerability in all of us. And I think we're probably also feeling vulnerable in terms of what is best at any given time, for any given moment, for any given decision that we have to make daily. So it's right. pretty exhausting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think everybody, that's the thing. That's also something that is bringing us together right? Because we've got this common thing to talk about and it's not just a conversational piece. It's a relatable piece. Like, I know, I know what you're feeling. I got you. I understand. And it's crazy. I don't think I've ever felt exactly what someone has been saying this closely before. Like, I'm tired. Me too. Me too. <laughs> so, um, so what can students and, 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 you know, people going through this thing that is so relatable do? What are some resources out there? What are, what are you doing? What do you advise? Yes. One of the things is to have patience with yourself. This is hard. This has been challenging. I think that we expect that we're going to perform at the same levels that we've always performed, do the same things, do the same. I, I think it's been really disappointing for a lot of students that, and they have not been able to do internships the way they wanted to or take classes or um, or do different things, travel abroad, do many things that they would have done under different circumstances. But I think that we all need to keep perspective, be patient, take care of yourselves, um, make sure that you are doing the things that are also infusing energy into your lives, whether it is quiet time, whether it is time outside, finding a balance. I think this is a great time to find balance in our lives, keep our priorities in order. I think one of the things that really the pandemic has brought about is that it made us all question our priorities and really put it into perspective. How do we honor that? Honoring yourselves, honoring what makes sense for you, being able to say no to things that you don't feel are within either your wheelhouse or that you want him to be in your wheelhouse, you know, things that sometimes it's okay. We sometimes feel guilty that we, to say no to things that we really don't want it to. I happen to think that the word no is a really great word because if we're able to use it and we're able to use it at times when it really is best for our own mental health, for our own self-care, it's not a bad thing. Is not is not saying anything about what the circumstances is simply just setting a boundaries that sometimes we forget that we have within our power to do. So I would encourage everyone to just prioritize their time, their resources, their energy, because that is the, you're the only person that knows how much of any of that you have. And it's okay for you to make that a priority because 
when you make that a priority, then other people don't have to guess what you're doing or where they stand with you. You just simply say it and people will respect. If you respect it, they will respect it as well. Right. For sure. And and if they don't respect it, then you need to reevaluate. <laughs> I feel like, right? You need people Absolutely. to support you during this time. <laughs> during this time, yeah. And also oh. even between your limits. It's okay to sometimes say no because you just simply don't have it in you. And then to realize, okay, I need to recharge because I don't have it in me. Right now I'm depleted. That's important to, to assess as well and to address. Right. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking out the time to talk to me, for being on my first episode. I'm never going to forget this. Oh, <laughs> it was amazing. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Athens Frontline podcast presented by The Red and Black. I'm your host, Simran Kaur Malhotra. Make sure you tune back in next week for our next episode. Until then, check us out on social media at Red and Black. Have a healthy and safe rest of your week.